I hope you're continuing to uh, do your reading as we go as a church family through the Bible this year. You should be in the book of Exodus. We're encouraging you to read through with either the app or the schedule that we have available back there uh, as we go through uh, in the next 12 months uh, the Word of God together. And so I'm encouraging people that if you've gotten behind, you're going to get real discouraged and just want to quit if you try to catch up. So just start with today and uh, begin again if you need to. Catch up next year with... uh, with what maybe you have missed, but just keep steady and keep reading with us as we go through God's Word. We're in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. After their uh, miraculous deliverance out of uh, Egypt, God severely warned His people to never, never forget how God had delivered them and to always, always remember how God had provided for them and protected them. God says, never forget to remember. And basically, he tells the people of Israel this. Listen, you're going to go into the promised land, and you're going to build nice big houses, you're going to plant vineyards, you're going to uh, have families, you're going to become prosperous, you're going to basically get fat and happy, and then you're going to forget. You're going to forget me. You're going to forget what I did, how I delivered you out of Egypt, how I brought you to the promised land. You're going to forget, and then you're going to drift. Basically, God says, never forget to remember You know, if we have no memory, we are truly lost. Why? Because as one author put it, he said this, memory anchors us to the past, it interprets the present, and it charts a course for the future. We desperately need memory. We need to be remembering. It's part and parcel of who we are. We are the sum total of experiences that we remember. Dr. Oliver Sacks has written a book entitled The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. He tells the story of how he met Jimmy back in 1975. Jimmy had the rare neurological disorder called Korsakoff syndrome, which affects the memory. He writes this. Jimmy walked into the office with a cheery, hiya, doc. Nice morning. Do I take this chair here? He was cooperative and answered all the questions as Dr. Sachs checked his memory. He remembered his childhood home, friends, school, and Navy, which he had joined in 1943. He was stationed on a sub and could still remember Morse code. He vividly recalled his service in the Navy through the end of the war in 1945, but that's where it ends, completely ended. Jimmy couldn't remember anything from 1945 to 1975, the present time, 30 years. He thought that Truman was still president. No one had ever been to the moon, in his estimation. He had no recollection of anything that happened more than a few minutes in the past. He thought he was 19 years old not the actual age of 49. Dr. Sachs showed him a mirror, and Jimmy gazed at the middle-aged man with the gray hair. He was shocked. He suddenly turned ashen, and he gripped the sides of the chair. What's going on? What happened to me? Is this a a nightmare? Am I going crazy? Dr. Sachs calmed him by taking him to the window to watch a ball game in a park below. He left him there for two minutes, and then he returned. Jimmy was still at the window gazing at the kids in the park. He wheeled around and said, Hiya, Doc. Nice morning. You want to talk to me? Do I take a chair here? The doc replied, Haven't we met before, Jimmy? No, I can't say that we have, he replied. Over the next nine years, as a patient, Jimmy and Dr. Sachs were introduced and reintroduced. He stayed in the convalescent home but never learned his way around the halls. He was good at rapid games like checkers and tic-tac-toe but got lost at chess because the moves were too slow. 
Dr. Sachs said, I never encountered, even imagined such a power like amnesia, the possibility of a pit into which everything, every experience, every event would fathomlessly drop. The staff at that home called Jimmy a lost soul. Without memory, we are lost souls. Again, we are the sum total of our experiences. And the tragedy of dementia or Alzheimer's disease is that a person forgets. And when they forget, they're not the same person anymore. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about remembering. Remembering, never forgetting. But it's more than just the cognitive recall of remembering things like the dates for that history exam or, or where you left the car keys. In the Bible, memory includes the mind, it includes the emotions, it, it includes the will. In other words, it's intentionally going back into time, making it come alive in the present so that it sets a standard of your attitudes and actions for the future. Remembering is such a key theme throughout the Bible. We have the thief hanging on the cross, remember? He pleads with Jesus, remember me, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Don't forget me. We've, we have Hannah's vow in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember, remember me. And do not forget your servant, but give her a son. Lord, please don't forget me. We have the command about the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We have Paul's words in Galatians. They ask that we should continue to remember the poor. Remember them. The very thing he said we were eager to do all along. Again, remembering is intentionally going back, making the past come alive in the present so that it sets a course for your attitudes and actions in the future. We desperately need memory in order to anchor us Otherwise, what happens is, just like the people of Israel, we will tend to drift. We will tend to slide. Never forget to remember. If we don't remember, we tend to slide and drift. As the songwriter put it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Have you ever felt that way? I have at times. That's why the writer of Hebrews warns. He says, for this reason, we must pay close attention to what we have heard. Why? So that we do not drift away. We all have a tendency to drift. Have you ever felt that tendency or that inclination to drift? I know I have. I have to constantly be on guard that I don't, that I don't drift. I don't just coast. I don't just ride with the tide and go with the flow. And the number, way I, the number one way I do that is I go back and I remember what has God done? Count your many blessings. Remember the song? Name them one by one. Count your blessings. And remember what God has done. Never forget to remember. But then the Lord gives us repeated warnings over and over again. Don't forget. In the book of Exodus that we're on right now, the people of Israel are, again, miraculously delivered out of the bondage of slavery. They're, they cross the Red Sea. They go into the promised land. And what's the first thing God warns them to do? Don't forget don't forget what happened. Don't forget what I did. In Deuteronomy 4.9, only be careful, God says. Watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your children after them. Deuteronomy 4.23, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has for, forbidden. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. You know, I don't know what it is. I think it's a part of our, 
our DNA. It's a part of our old sin nature that we have little forgetters in us, little creatures that, that gobble up memories. And the older we get, the bigger the creatures get, the more I forget. Jeffrey Arthurus tells the story of Charles Darwin. You may not have known this, but Charles Darwin was raised in a solid Christian home in England. He accepted the truthfulness of the Bible. He accepted the church's creeds. And for a while, he even thought of going into the ministry. He writes this, while traveling the world as a naturalist aboard the HMS Beagle, Darwin began, became convinced that species developed by chance over vast epochs of time. That belief, that belief eventually led him to reject the Genesis account of creation and eventually the whole Old Testament. Then he rejected the Gospels because of their miracles and the discrepancies that he supposedly saw. Then a severe personal storm caused him to drift even further, the death of his beloved daughter Annie, who was 10 years old. Although the great scientist never became an outright atheist, his belief in God slowly evolved into a kind of deism. Coming in on that slow drift, on that slow slide, Darwin said this, I gradually, gradually began to disbelieve in Christianity as divine revelation. Disbelief crept over me at a very slow rate, but was at last complete, and that rate was so slow I felt no distress. The Bible warns us, never forget to remember. In stark contrast to our drifting and to our forgetting, God remembers us. The Bible repeatedly tells us his eye is on us, his face is toward us, his ear inclines to us, his hand is upon us. God never forgets us. He even remembers our trials, especially our trials and troubles. The psalmist says in Psalm 56, 8, it says that God... Um, he tells God, you have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I was in Israel a few years ago, I, I visited a small chapel just across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. It was right on the Mount of Olives, and this chapel was rather unique. It was, it was built like a, like a giant teardrop, if you can imagine that. It was to commemorate when Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem from that very spot. There was a custom in the ancient world that when people grieved, when they mourned, when they were going through some tragedy, they would take a little vial, it's shaped like a little tiny um, vase, and they would catch their tears as it ran down their cheeks. And they would keep that, put a stopper on it to commemorate what exactly they went through or what person they mourned. The psalmist says that God puts our tears in a bottle. Why? The point is he remembers. He remembers what you've gone through, everything you've gone through, what you're going through now. And he will not forget what you're going to go through down the road. Remember the song we sing, He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees every tear that falls. And he hears me when I call. He remembers our trials. Why? Because he's made a covenant with us. And that's what the book of Exodus is all about. The covenant. He made a solemn promise, a binding oath, that he would be our God if we would be his people. God remembers his covenant. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Now it came about in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry to help because of the bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Isaiah 49, 15 asks a rhetorical question. Can a woman forget her nursing child? <laughs> yeah, right. 
Have no compassion on the son of her womb? Never would happen. God says, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God not only remembers, the poetically it says he, he writes our names on the palm of his hand. The point is, he remembers. He will never forget. He not only remembers, he writes them. God saw a married couple, basically, uh, who were residents, uh, distant from their homeland. God wrote their names on the palm of his hand, Abraham and Sarah. God saw a young teenager who was hated by his brother passionately. They hated him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. But God wrote his name on the palm of his hand, Joseph. God saw two grieving widows, childless, destitute, poor. He wrote their names on the palms of his hand, Naomi, Ruth. God saw the first martyr, brutally stoned to death. He wrote his name on the palm of his hand, Stephen. God sees the believers in his church. He sees you. He sees me. He's written our names on the palm of his hand. He made a covenant with you. He will never go back on that covenant. He's written your name on his hands. What's the point? God remembers. God will never forget. God remembers his covenant by bringing it to completion in Jesus Christ. And that covenant began with Abraham. And it's, it continues on to this day through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Through him, our sins are forgiven. Through him, all the nations of the world were blessed and are blessed. And so we, we walk in the hope and joy because he has remembered us. And we see that vividly, basically, through the person and work of Christ on the cross. We walk in hope and optimism because of the character and, and the promise of God. When Satan haunts us and he tries to beat us over the head about our past sins, we remember what Christ has done on the cross for us. When we're tempted to despair, and, and, and the enemy tells us, uh, basically, we're unworthy. We look at the cross, and we look at what Christ has done for us, and we remember what he did, and we celebrate that. And we walk in joy and optimism because of that. But that doesn't mean we don't have any trials. That doesn't mean the tears don't run down our cheeks. It does mean that if God is for us, who could be against us? It means that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. It means that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And so in Christ, we find strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Amen? When I was a kid, I got one of those tipping birds for Christmas. I think it was Christmas or a birthday. Have you ever seen those little plastic tipping birds? They're kind of fun. They go back and forth on a little perch. They're made out of plastic. And it's kind of cool to watch them go back and forth. Basically, um, how it works is that there's a center of gravity that keeps that bird with its head down. And then when the bird is placed in water, its little beak sucks up the water into its foam head, and the center of gravity shifts, and the bird goes back up again. And then the water evaporates out of its head, and then the center of gravity shifts again, and it comes back down again. It's kind of cool to watch, up and down, back and forth, hours. I didn't have TV, and I didn't have video games, you know? <laughs> What's the point? The point is that our natural position is with our head down. In this world, our natural position is, is that we're plowing ahead, we're under the weight, we're under the pressure of sin and death. We live in a broken, broken and damaged and fallen world. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Expect that, and we do. We bow down, but when we do that, the bird finds water and the center of gravity shifts. In our trials, we remember his grace, we re remember his covenant. We drink deeply, deeply, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we keep ourselves in the love of God. And then when that water evaporates and the bird tips over again, we, we forget. 
and then we dry up, and then we bow down again under the heavy weight of, of the world again. It's only when we bow down, though, that we find the water, that we drink deeply, and then we stand up straight again. We do that by remembering again and again. The trials bring us low. When we're low, that's when we find water. That's when we're desperate. Why is it that when things are going really well, we don't necessarily seek out God all that much, but when things are going south, when things are going sour, we cry out to Him. We drink again and again. We remember again and again how God remembers us. And in that, we find joy, we find hope. What are some practical steps we can take to avoid drying up and dying on the vine? What are some steps we can take to keep the memory alive? Jesus gives us a threefold remedy in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus was speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he writes this. Remember, therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you return. Remember, repent, return. The three R's. Real simple. Remember where you got off track. Go back and recall when it was that you lost your first love, that you began to drift, you began to kind of slide away from God. What happened? Remember. Go back and remember that. Maybe it was an unconfessed sin. Maybe it was a bad habit you established. Maybe it was a, a wrong relationship that you were into. Go back and remember. Second step, repent. Repent of that sin of disobedience. Confess and claim God's forgiveness and then move forward. Repent. And the third R is return. Return to what? Return back to the things you used to do that would cultivate and nurture that love for God. You see, the love of God is really revealed in this passage. God wants that love relationship with us. It's not about just going through the motions. It's about developing and cultivating that love relationship with Jesus Christ. And so... He confronts the church and he says, you have abandoned that love. You've gone south. You've slid away. Remember, repent, and return. Do those things that you used to do that would cultivate that passion for God again. Go back. Then you get this scary word of warning in verse 5. What happens if you don't? What happens if you keep on sliding and, and drifting in your walk with God? Verse 5 says, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. In other words, if you're just doctrinally connect, uh, correct in the head, and maybe you're just going through the motions of religiosity, and you're just playing the game, but you have no affection for God, there's no love for Him, there's no desire for Him, what's, what's God say? He said, I'm going to pull the lampstand. I'm going to shut this thing down. I'm going to remove the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to take my presence away altogether. This church is going to dry up and die. I'll continue to save and do work, God says, but it's not going to be through you. Now that's pretty terrifying. We've been here 30 years and we've been blessed so much. Are we going to be around another 30 years? I would love to know. I won't be here, but it'd be interesting to project forward. What's Foothills going to look like in the year 2047? <laughs> Now, we don't hear about the church of Ephesus after this passage in Revelation, so evidently they, they died. The whole church dried up and went away. I recently read some uh, shocking numbers about Christianity in America today. Of the 250,000 Protestant churches in America, 200,000, 80% are either uh, basically uh, 
stagnant or, or declining. There's, they're not growing. 20%, only 20% of all churches are growing. 4,000 churches close their doors every single year. 4,000. 1,800 pastors leave the ministry every single month. There's less than half the number of churches today than there were just 100 years ago. Half. There were twice as many churches 100 years ago. 3,500 people leave the church every single day. 3,500. May we be a church that keeps growing, keeps loving, keeps serving, keeps uh, being what we're called to be. How do we do that? We start by remembering. We go back. And, and we remember what we have done in our brokenness and what God has done in His blessings. He is so good. He is so great. Worthy to be praised. And so we rehearse, we recount, recall, repeat, recite, review, remember, and tell and retell the old, old story over and over again. We have to be continually reminded of what, what we believe and why we believe it. We've got to continually, continually remember who we are, why we're here. The very last thing Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper, remember me. Remember me. What did he mean? Don't forget. And this morning we celebrate 30 years. I don't want to ever forget what God has done. He has blessed us in so many powerful ways. My wife and I have had the joy and privilege of serving 25 of those 30 years here at Foothills Church. And we can hardly believe that we've been here a quarter of a century. 25 years. Two and a half decades. 500 and I don't know how many months. <laughs> but we're here to remember. We're not here to boast about anything we maybe have done in the past or revel in any former accomplishments. We're here to celebrate 30 years of God's faithfulness, to remember again what God has done. And he's called us and he's used us and he's blessed us for three decades. Praise the Lord for that. I'm going to ask Margie to come up at this time. And, and we just want to share a couple of thoughts here before we uh, head out to lunch together. But... Um, Margie and I have been blessed uh, here together. We are a team, and I praise the Lord for that. She always reminds me, whenever I say I or my ministry, she goes, our ministry, hello. Uh, so i got to keep on, sorry, uh, yeah, if you weren't, I wouldn't be here today. And that and my parents. By the way, my parents are up front. Praise the Lord for them. They, praise God. People ask, you know. How is it your, your mom has stayed so young? And it's because she had me when she was 12. And so that, that helps. That helps a lot. In any case, we, uh, we, we came in uh, 1992, uh, 25 years ago. The, the church had, was just celebrating its five-year uh, anniversary. And um, you want to tell us uh, kind of what that was all about? In fact, we got a picture up here. This is what our kids look like. They were like what? Two, four, six, and eight. I think I've frozen our children in that those at those ages. It's my not my favorite. Now is my favorite because I live in the moment. But um, truly, they were they were very yummy uh, when we when uh, they were little, and still are. I think we were uh, we were 30, 35. I think the average age of our church at that time was thirty or thirty-five. We were a young church, also. Probably I'm totally for, I'm totally forgetting that. He was going to have me join him, so I'm like, oh, no. Anyway. The next um, picture, we kind of grew in this church. Yeah. Uh, this was probably in the mid-90s or late-90s. Uh, I think it was our first uh, our official first church directory back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. But our church family and our family, we merged. Our kids grew up here, and, and we praise God. And that's for our poor daughter, Katie. She's the oldest. 
uh, with braces on as like a freshman or sophomore. And she was like, could you have done that a little bit earlier, please? But anyway, um, our, we have any money. our son Daniel to the right, um, and then David to the left, and Joseph. So those are our little ones. They were basically probably 9, 11, 13, 15. And now today? Or no. Oh, no, that was a few years later. Yeah. Everybody has their picture taken over at the Cota de Casa. Or the Dove Canyon waterfall. entrance, yeah. Dove Canyon, that was it, yeah. Yeah. And anyway. then we, the only family picture we have that is recent of sort was uh, last January. And uh, so we have Joe and Amanda, our youngest boy, and Amanda Cooper. Where are the Coopers? We share grandbaby Cooper. And uh, then Katie and Ross. And Joe and Amanda live in Encinitas. And Joe's a youth pastor. And with Amanda, they're a team. And we have Katie and Ross. And their little ones are Emily on the left and Cole right beside her, and they live in Washington, D.C. And uh, then there's David in the red, um, and Daniel on the right with Chelsea, and right below Brad there is Bryden and Caradine. You guys writing this down, right? You're and they're due, with, <laughs> they're due with their little baby, the third baby, in December. So yeah. that's our family, and we're very thankful. And the last one, you got to throw the grandkids in one more time. Anyway, and, um, it's all about grandkids, I'm telling you. I had really hoped that somehow it would work that we could get all of our kids here and our grandkids and um, love on each other and love on the church family. We have been so richly blessed. And when I think about the 25 years that God has given us, the word joy does come to my mind because it has been truly joy-filled. Brad and I run alongside each other in the ups and downs, in the high joys, the low sorrows, and everything in between. We keep looking up and we are so thankful for the blessing of this family because truly you are family. So we love each and every one of you. Right. You can go now. <laughs> the reason, uh, reason we show our families is because we like to brag on them, but also to basically say, hey, this is family. A lot of times people don't realize it, but the church family is oftentimes uh, you know, closer than blood. And I've had the joy and privilege of serving here again for the last 20, 25 years. I've prayed diligently. Uh, for this church, each one of you, for your faith and your joy, uh, your love for one another, the unity of the body, and your growth in Christ. I've walked with many of you through the highs and lows of the last 25 years. I've visited many of you in the hospital and uh, gone through uh, doing life together and also stood beside you uh, at a few gravesides. I've had the joy of performing at about 50 weddings. I think I look back in the last 25 years, about 40 or 50 weddings, uh, many from the same family. I got to marry all three of the Wasman girls and also the two Clark boys and so many that grew up in our, in our church that I had the joy of doing their weddings. And most of them, I think, are still married. Praise, praise the Lord for that. <laughs> I've had the joy of officiating in about the same number, about 40 or 50 uh, memorial services. Uh, so many of our members have passed away. I've done uh, services for many of your parents, uh, some of your siblings, uh, some of your spouses, and even a few children. Uh, but we remember, we go back, we remember what God has done, how he's brought us together as a church family, what he's done in changing the lives of people, how he's brought us more and more conformed into the image of Christ. And we remember his goodness, we remember his graciousness of the past 30 years. And again, we remember because we intentionally bring alive the past in the present, 
so that it, it, it sets a tone and it charts out the future as far as our attitudes and as far as our actions. And so uh, with that, I just want to have a word of prayer as we continue to worship one or, uh, one or two more songs, and then we're going to break for lunch. And would you please bow your hearts with me?